Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to Nagnol Radio. We hope you had an amazing Black History Month. Yes, I hope it was as fun and we hope you learned a lot. Although we weren't posting, we were busy creating content on our Instagram and hosting Clubhouse Rooms. Yes, it's a struggle to post episodes on the Pactos. Yes, it's been a struggle to post more episodes, but we hosted amazing rooms. Um, One of them was landing our dream job in tech, uh, where we had a lovely discussion with amazing recruiters from Amazon. And we had an amazing uh, talk actually yesterday discussing the treatment of Rashambara also known as Somali Bantus, and the true meaning of inclusion in the Somali society. They were both super insightful, and, and our speakers were just amazing. Thanks to our amazing speakers and lovely audience who joined. We learned so much and proved to the world that Somalis can use Clubhouse appropriately. <laughs> yeah. Since we're gone, so much has happened in the world. Uh, so this week's Buch and Blaya will be crazy. So get a cup of tea. Yeah. Let's talk about that our bachelor, Matt, has proved to all of us that he is on coon behavior and that he doesn't deserve rights. Take him away. <laughs> Let's take a moment of silence for Matt's black card. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, this season has been so crazy. Like, honestly, my emotions can't deal with it. Do you know that TikTok sound when they're like, that's it, I can't watch it? That's me every mm-hmm. episode. I'm like, why am I battling myself? Why am I, like, forcing myself to be disappointed at the end? Like, he's he has just ruined all no, of bro like it's actually the secondhand embarrassment is so real like i'm rooting for you don't embarrass me be- like being the first black bachelor of course it comes with its challenges because you are the first but he's a smart educated man i just thought he'd be out here making better decisions like what the fuck he's smart in the books but not in the sheets <laughs> yeah he's not, he's, not, he's not street smart that's not what it smart. is yeah like after Michelle came. I really thought Black Love had hope. Like, I thought the season was going to be saved. I thought he was going to be boom, boom, boom. That's the, my girl. Mm-hmm. I'm going to her. Um, and he's trying. He is still trying to sell Rachel to us. We don't want uh-uh. Rachel. We no. Don't. You, know, you know what's so crazy? Time and time again, this franchise fails to do proper background checks on their guests. And then you have the lead, Matt, out here looking stupid. Like, imagine he picks Rachel in the end and finds out, which he's finding out with the rest of the world, that that she's a racist like he, i have no words like th- imagine how b- like that would hurt in my gut like imagine yeah. a girl that you choose is like a racist yeah like i also think like it's so annoying even chris like being so confident to go on a public interview defend rachel and make those disgusting like racist remarks all while like you know gaslighting a black woman like i really hope they get it together i just think all these reality tv shows which we talked in the past bro if you're gonna mm-hmm. include black people Include us fully because this half-ass shit is literally disappointing us and like all you're doing is pissing us off. So Love mm-hmm. Island, we we don't want black people if they're not gonna be represented greatly. Same with The Bachelor, same with Love is Blind. Like it's like they half-ass it and they go, Black Lives Matter, right? Black Lives Matter, right? Literally. We gave it to you. Like no. They gave you the one, it's called being the token black person. They give you the one token. It's like, no. Yeah, like bro, it's just been a draining six, seven weeks. Like, this Monday is going to be when the, he's doing the home. Yeah, uh, home hometowns and shit like that. Wallahi, bro. I'm so excited for Rachel's hometown. I wonder how that's going to go. Blink twice if you need help. Get <laughs> out. <laughs> the last episode I was telling you about, every, all the girls, he was like, oh, like, how are your parents going to react to me? You know, typical, oh, they'll love you. Like, my sister, my siblings might give you a hard time. Rachel, get it. Yeah, so they're going to see the love in my eyes. Yes. Nah, <laughs> the signs are there. The signs are there. She said, they will say Negro, but they still see you as human. I see you. I hear you. No, bro. Speaking of love, 
Um, Kim Ye is no longer Kim Ye. Kim filed for divorce this past Friday and the world went into shambles. Honestly, deciding to make the announcement on a Friday was so smart because no one report, reports news on the weekend. So it's going to be like from Monday to next Friday. But anyways, that's not the point. Um, I feel like it was a long time coming, like their divorce. But needless to say, all the all the outlets were saying that they're still on good terms and are putting their family first. So Yeah, like I think it's it's. I, I really hope they get the help they need. And I, I know, like, last year was so much for them, like, with Kanye uh, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, like, just him, you know, so bad. Like, his mental health. health. Yeah. So I really hope they both get the help they need and they, like, you know, work it out. Maybe they'll still, you know, get back together. But I think that, like, it's just so sad because, like, Kim Ye literally defined love. So now mm-hmm. like, that doesn't exist. Like, where the fuck are we supposed to look at love for? Like, <laughs> okay yeah Kanye was spoiling Kim every Valentine's Day the gifts were out of this world roses everywhere it just shows you that like materialistic things don't always hold value in relationship and that there are like there's more to a relationship than just material goods you know like that can only last so long yeah I feel like it's like also a reminder that like everybody thinks that some relationship is perfect but they're dealing with shit behind closed doors you know what I mean Mm -hmm. but also like alhamdulillah for Islam because if Valentine all my homies hate material but if any of you wants to buy me a few goodies, Luca, 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 bro, Luca. Don't get it twisted. I'll take a DR bag any day. Yeah, that's the type of material that we need. That's the type of yeah. support. <laughs> yeah i think that's it for book we are getting old kids we're not really in loop with pop culture content you know what i'm saying but these are the two things that we remember so inshallah next week we have more to cover um but yeah we have an amazing interview coming up your way with simran um yes we do have an amazing interview with the lovely simran simran is the author of the sadiq book series we spoke to her about we spoke to her about the world of publishing and we honestly learned so much i enjoyed this interview yeah um she was so sweet and like she truly shared so much gems with us like it's like one of my favorite interviews so i hope you guys listen and enjoy um we'll link all her details below buy her books for buy her books support black business yeah period also um her um books are good like aid gifts or like you know ramadan gifts for young uh kids it's all about representation sadiq is a somali boy so yeah it's amazing thank you so much guys Thank you so much for joining us, Simran. I was wondering if you could introduce yourself to our listeners who don't know about the amazing and viral work that you do. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's viral, but I'll take your word for it because that does sound nice. But uh, hi, everyone. My name is uh, Simran Norali, and I am the author of the uh, Sadiq series with Capstone Publishing. And it is a early reader uh, chapter book um, for ages, um, well, four to six, but it can go up to eight. So I like to say four to eight, um, even though I'm one of those people that doesn't really believe in reading levels. And so I feel like books are just books. And so when you kind of constrict kids to like a certain reading level, then I, I just don't know that it's particularly helpful, um, but you know, it exi- it's the system that exists. And so books do have to be classified that way. And so it is early reader. And so I would say ages four to eight is the uh, appropriate age group for that, uh, for, the, for that series. So like, let's start from the beginning. So when did you realize that you wanted to like become a writer or like what stemmed this passion? Um, that's a, that's an interesting question, just primarily because I didn't set out to be a writer. Um, I, I wrote things, I, I 
you know, wrote poetry and short stories and things like that. But that was just from my own personal consumption. And so it's not something that I particularly was looking to get published. Um, it's not something that I looked at it as a um, career. Obviously, I've, you know, been in healthcare for like, you know, close to 20 years. And so I didn't particularly consider it as a viable career option. Uh, but it was this opportunity um, that just kind of popped up uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. Um, well, not a few, a couple, I think. Um, and <laughs> uh, Capstone Publishing, which is a, a, a publishing company that's based in Minnesota that um, just does a lot of this kinds of books, um, had tweeted out that they were looking for a small American author um, to write an own voices uh, chapter book series. And I'll talk about own voices in a little bit, but um, they were looking for a small American author to write an own voice voices series um, that was going to be based on an eight-year-old small American boy. Um, and a couple of my friends, um, Ellie, who at the time was on her honeymoon um, in New Zealand, and um, another friend of mine on the East Coast, um, Olive, hi guys, um, had seen this tweet and like both of them like sent it to me and were like, you have to, um, you know, you have to reach out and make contact with them. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I don't write stuff. Like, and so I just kind of kept coming up with this like excuse, I don't write. I, I particularly don't write for children. Why would they go with me? There's plenty of other authors that they've probably already gotten. I just kept coming up with excuses and they wouldn't hear of it. Um, and so finally, I, I, I sort of thought, what do you have to lose? And reached out to Capstone and said, hey, you know, so your tweet about looking for a small American author, I, you know, I'm interested. And they asked me to send um, some sample writings that I had. So I did um, just a couple of different things that I had. And um, then they wrote back and asked me to write a sample chapter for um, Sudeik and, you know, what that would look like because they had set out the premise. It's an eight-year-old boy who like, um, uh, likes to stop clubs at his school with, you know, a couple of his friends. Um, and so did that and then promptly forgot about it. And then a few weeks later, um, heard back and they were like, you know, we'd like you to do this for us. And it was kind of surreal. <laughs> um, and so that was it. I had a pretty kind of short journey, um, alhamdulillah, gratefully, um, than most people do um, to publishing. So that was kind of my very lucky jump into um, the world of publishing, yeah. <laughs> so like, I know you kind of touched yeah. on it already, but I know a lot of authors have this thing called writer's block and that the creative process can kind of like take a toll on you. So like, what does the creative process of writing a book and like for detail look like for you? Because I look at um, books like Harry Potter and it's like they, she created a whole universe, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I'm just like, how does that, like, how does that work, look like? I'm not a very disciplined writer, um, unfortunately. I think a lot of people um, have are very disciplined and, and create structures and those structures can be really varied. There's people who um, will just set up aside a, a block of time, right? So they'll say, you know, from six in the morning until 10 a.m., I'm going to write. It doesn't matter if they're having writer's block. It doesn't matter if they have an idea or not. It's just they've just block that time and that time is for writing and they'll commit that four hours and not do anything else and just go and do it. Um, and other people kind of um, take it as it comes. There's folks who build the story as it goes. So they'll have a rough idea, a rough premise of what they want to do and um, will build the story as they go along. There's other people who look at it um, sort of from a, you know, like a planning perspective, right? So they'll come out with a plot. 
the characters, they'll name the characters, they'll do what's essentially called world building, right? So they'll build the world if, you know, if you're going into sort of a fantasy genre, um, you know, maybe come up with a language or uh, create backstories, you know, historical backstories that go back hundreds of years for these characters. And so um, I think it just really varies. But for me, I'm, I'm super undisciplined. I don't set aside time. Uh, there's people who have spaces, you know, that they create where they're like, the only time I'll do writing is if I'm in this and I don't do that, you know? And so a lot of the time, um, uh, what I will do is just, if something occurs to me, then I'll just put a note, just regular note on the phone and just write it down that way. But I don't particularly have a method or um, a way to do it. And so hopefully now that I think I'm now going down this pathway of, of, of you know, writing books and, you know, coming up with ideas, maybe I'll find my style, but I don't think it's going to change. I think I'm always going to be that way. <laughs> it's kind of like, although you think that, like, I feel like we're all super, like, critical of ourselves but although you think your style is like super like all over the place but that's unique to you and that's why you create great work maybe oh that's how mm-hmm. so it definitely translates in like your work like like you created okay. a whole world you know yeah. like I love it that's yeah it's what they had was uh so this is what's called uh you know work for hire concept work and so they come to you with what I like to think of like as a shell so they say you know they give you the character so it's an eight-year-old he's a small American boy his name is Sadiq um he's got a family and you know friends and this is what he does so they give you that shell and then you sort of build the story um into it but um a lot of the time, just even for other stories that I might be writing at the time, it just happens in my head, which is good and bad because it's like, I'll be in the middle of something and, you know, it'll happen in my head. And so if I don't write it down, then it's just going to disappear. <laughs> but, no, it's kind of similar with like podcasting, like me and yes, you will be having a conversation. We're like, this is so good. We should, we should feature this. Like, let's write it down. And then we don't sometimes. And it's like, God, like, I know, like when we finally like, I've been writing down everything like my whole entire life to the point where like my mom has an archive for me and mm-hmm. it's, it's just now coming towards the end. I'm just like, did I really say that? Like, <laughs> but <laughs> I've been learning to write everything down. Like the beauty yeah. of it is like looking back at it, like when you're older, it's really mm-hmm. like, I'm so happy that I like wrote everything down from such a young age. Yeah. It's really at odds with like who I am as a person. Cause in real life, I'm actually a planner. Um, I can't function without a plan and I'm one of those people that doesn't really adapt to change very well so if you you know like like today you know the way that you said oh we'll do this interview at 1 p.m if you were to email me today or in the morning or whatever it is or an hour before and be like oh no we can't do it I'll be fine with it but like it'll feel as if I'm now just completely off kilter for like the rest of the day I don't do surprises um, (laughs) at all (laughs) Everybody knows me <laughs> that about me. So it's just really at odds that when it comes to like my creative process that there's just no rhyme or reason to it. So, but we'll see where it goes. So I know oh. I was actually doing a research on the publishing industry and I know like the publishing industry is like super male dominated and also yeah. like super Adan sadly or white option. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> did that like scare you away? Like essentially like when you did do the first series where you're like, okay, that was a hot mess. I'm not going to go back. Yeah. Um, Again, I think just, I I keep pinching myself. I think everything about my process has just been really fortunate. I do have to give a shout out to Capstone because 
I think when, uh, you know, everybody knows the publishing industry is super, super white. It's not only male, but it's white. So even the women who then come after the men are white. And so there's a lot of gatekeeping. But I think Capstone has committed to diversifying their catalog. And they've really invested in what's called own voices. And own voices is basically when um, an author uh, from a particular community is the person that gets to write about that or to tell stories about that community. And I think it's really important. It doesn't say that um, somebody outside of, you know, the Somali, so it's, it's not to say a white woman couldn't write about the Somali community, but why would that opportunity go to a white woman when there's a Somali author that could do it just as well, if not better, right? And who would understand the nuances and the intricacies of the culture and the language and the interactions. Um, all of those things are um, really important. And I remember um, when I was writing, um, even when I was writing the story, you know, and I would have, uh, you know, you, you, the draft goes back and forth with you and your editor. And, you know, I'd get a comment like, you know, this doesn't sound realistic, you know, like, and then I would have to say it is for our community, right? In our culture, it is realistic. It might not be to the American society, but for um, Somalis, this is, you know, super pretty normal. Um, and so, you know, something like um, a dad, not setting the table, right, for dinner and, and things like that. And it'd be like, my abo doesn't set the, you know, the dinner yeah. table doesn't happen. So, um, but again, the really good thing is when, uh, and they would listen, like they would never like argue with me or push back or anything. It'd be like, good to know, we can leave it in there. And so when a company commits to that, uh, commits to um, a, first of all, diversifying their catalog and finding the appropriate authors, but also trusting those authors to tell the story, um, in the way that they feel is best for them, I think is really, really important. And so um, they've done that really well um, in Minnesota. And I think for Capstone, they're a little bit ahead of the curve because they're based in Minnesota. And you know, Minnesota has a really, really diverse um, community. You know, we've got, yeah. <laughs> yep, we've got, you know, we've got Somalis and Vietnamese and Hmong and uh, uh, Latinos. And it's, it's just, it's really, really diverse. And so I think they're doing a fantastic job um, with that. And so that being my first foray into publishing, I've really, really been fortunate. I know there's folks that haven't had as easy a time and it's, you know, been downright traumatic in other cases. And so um, I think we continue to, you know, just push for change. There was a really big, I'm going to stop rambling, but there was a really big conversation that was, um, I think, started uh, last year. There's this book uh, called American Dirt that um, had been written by, um, you know, a white woman. She did, <clears throat> she did claim, um, uh, you know, Puerto Rican ancestry, but she had written a book about, you know, this, you know, mom and, 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 and kid that were escaping from Mexico, escaping from drug cartels, and sort of it got centered as the immigrant experience, right, from South America. And it was just really, really, really problematic. And it set off this whole conversation. Um, especially on Twitter and, um, you know, and, and publishers needing to, to listen and to give opportunities and to stop gatekeeping and um, to stop trading basically in what amounts to trauma porn, right? So we want to hear stories about suffering, Black suffering and uh, immigrant suffering, refugee suffering. Why can't it be joyful? Right, <laughs> exactly. Why can't it be normal? Like I, I, I remember when Sadiq came out, um, uh, I kept hearing, he's really normal. I'm like, yeah, lots of Somali kids are, <laughs> you know, it was just this. <laughs> um, like we're not all traumatized. <laughs> no, right, right. It wasn't, it didn't, it, and it doesn't need to be. And 
I also wanted to stay away from the idea of, because um, this is the other thing that happens with uh, uh, Muslim folks and and and, and Somalis and Africa, just immigrants, right? Is this whole idea of dual identities and the need to exist in different skins depending on where you are? I really, really wanted to stay away from that. I didn't want it to be this kid that was like, "Oh, I'm only American when I'm outside, and then when I come home, I'm Somali." And I tried to make that as seamless as possible because. Um, that that trope is overdone right you know the, the muslim girl that you know hides and like takes off her hijab when she goes to school and then puts it back on when she comes home so that she can fit in i really hate that yeah. and so it was just really important that that was not a a, a factor in, in i also think that like speaks most to, to the somali culture like right this is not me like shading other communities but i think the somali community like there's not a lot of assimilation like somali stand out and like they are really yeah. like strong with their culture and their deen. It's kind of like if you don't like it, like kick rocks type thing. Yeah, which yeah. Is beautiful. And I think a lot of communities <laughs> can learn from us. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's it's. it's I think it's supremely important for kids to see that. I think um, it's not even just about like learning about the culture or anything like that. It's, you know, when you think about things like and things like that and taking kids back home and all, you don't need that. You can, kids can still experience what their culture is even in the diaspora, even when they're in Western nations. And it's not like this mutually exclusive thing where for a kid to learn about the significance of their culture and be embedded in it, that they need to travel back to the homeland, so to speak. If you don't need, yeah, no, go ahead. I was like, my favorite new saying is we're all living the same life. Like I say that to everybody I come across on social media. So I'm just like, when was that moment for you? Like, was there a family or like some, or, or that, a, sorry, a family that came up to you to talk about how you impacted them and how your books have made a mark on them? Has that happened to you? Like I've made it. Um, and that has actually meant more to me than like if the books are selling or because I, I hear from everybody, right? I hear from schools and libraries and a lot of the folks that I actually hear from um, other than, uh, you know, small families is actually white folks. Like there's there's a lot of them who are in libraries and schools and for them, it's because they have a student, right? It's like, I have, I have my student who's never been able to see himself or herself in a book, in a library or whatever reading we're doing for that week. And it's been amazing, you know, and I hear, you know, a teacher that's like, um, you know, this kid came up to me and he was like, my name is Sadiq, like I'm in this book. And that was just really cool to see. But it was also in the events that I did where just, this was pre-COVID, so nobody yell at me, <laughs> but like all, when I would do a school reading or like, like the kids would all just gather around and like, it's like this huge group hug and they're excited and they have all these questions and they're like, we speak Somali at home, we eat sambus at home. Like it was just really, really awesome to see and parents, you know, who are like, we've always had to buy books or borrow books from the library that had white kids in them and now we can do this. And so that was really humbling and um, I, I could feel the weight of that responsibility. And so that has meant more to me than like any other like success that the books have enjoyed. No, that's amazing. I think that we always, we always undermine like representation, especially like adults do. Cause like, obviously like a lot of us grew up with that representation. So we kind of are like gatekeeping that. Like we're like, no, you guys have to struggle like us. Um, but I even see it in my own like little brothers and like siblings and stuff like that. Like just cause they have so much more access to like just even simply having Harima Advent as a model, like, you know what I mean? Or like um, seeing Ilhan Umar on the news and stuff like that. That's like super like, they're prideful. They're like, oh, she's Somali, I'm Somali. This yeah. is cool. Yeah. Um, so I think that's beautiful. What is, do you have like, what is your motivation do you say behind your books? Like, is there a motto you follow? Is there like <laughs> something that you wanna 
have in your books? Um, no, not particularly. I, I'm, I, I'm a lover of books, all books, any books. I, it, it's one of those things and it's been a lifelong love um, for me. And so just, this is not new for me, but since I was a kid, it was the one thing that I wanted to do more than anything else um, is just to read. If I had a free minute, that's what I was doing. If, you know, I was trying to like spend time, I, I didn't like play with friends. I didn't even, I didn't have a whole lot of friends. And so I just didn't care. And and so I spent all my time, all my free time that is <laughs> outside of school with books. And so um, for me, the joy is in, in the worlds that exist, you know, within the books. And so, and anytime that a kid is is reading a book is almost is almost always going to be time well spent. I think you learn the best things about you know the human condition and how the world works in books. I think that's where you actually get a whole lot of um, uh, knowledge from. Because if you were to pick one book, you know, um, just even look at the way book clubs are, right? Which I'm not a fan of book clubs, but that's a different conversation. But even book, you know, you pick a book, there's like 10, 15 people in the club, you're all reading it, you're discussing it, every single person is going to come away with something different, right? They're going to have different perspectives on the same exact character. So the words about the character haven't changed, but people are finding different things, primarily because they see themselves possibly in that you know character whether it's real or whether it's this is who I want to be or if it's you know like sort of an antagonist character it's like oh I'm like this person but I wish I wasn't like that person right Mm -hmm. and so I think if you just it's just these worlds that exist that you can go into and come out of and you know at will and so I think that's probably the best thing um, about books and that I, I think that's why I do it. I always wanted to be people like you like I'm, I'm an extrovert so like I was never those kids who would sit and be reading I'd be like causing mayhem in school oh, chaos. <laughs> chaos like I just cho- but I wanted to know like I'm, it's new year's everybody has new year's goals and like every year I know you can guess what my new year goal is I want to start reading um inshallah this is the year that it's gonna happen what advice do you have for all the nugnals out there who want to start reading and who are just struggling to fall in love with books fall in love with books I think I would say don't restrict yourself um I think people need to um or, or think they have to find um a genre or that they have to read quote unquote smart books right so books that like define you as being a smart you know like a brainiac and a brainy person no you can you know read whatever you want you can read trashy romance novels you can read fantasy you can read literary fiction you can read children's books I love picture books because they have to convey the same amount of story and emotion and character in like as few words as possible so I'm a huge huge fan of picture books and so I think my biggest advice is just pick one up it, it, it doesn't matter pick one up and by the way if you are not liking it it's okay to set it down you don't need to force yourself to like finish it or complete it um I'm always reading anywhere from six to seven books like like consecutive like not like I don't like read one book finish it and then go to the next one that's not a thing uh. I do multiple books at the same time yeah because I'll get to a certain point in a book and I'm like oh I can't do it anymore and so I'll close it and I'll like pick one other one up and so there's people that do that there's people who are very sort of religious and say nope have to finish this one think about it let it soak in start another one and I'm just not like that so I think the most important thing is pick one just pick one 
and then go from there. What advice do you have for like aspiring authors? I know like like Ahram says, New Year, New Me, 2021. There's probably people who always had like aspirations and goals, but they don't they're like they last 10 seconds and then it's done. What do you have for someone who's like actually serious about what going about being an author? It's going to sound like such a cliche, but like be unafraid. Um, if you, you know, this is, again, <laughs> I know we talked about this in the beginning, does not mean like shading anybody, but there's a ridiculous amount of garbage books that just like exist, right? And those people got published and they got marketed and they made a profit. And once you get out there, it's actually not only just fascinating and surprising, but also kind of maddening. Like it makes you mad because you're like, what? I could have done like a 10 times better job than that. Um, and so that's the only thing I would say is, is be unafraid. And I think the other thing that stops a lot of people is, you know, this is a trope that's overdone. You know, this, this is a story that has been told by like a thousand other authors. What is it that I could bring, you know, to, to that particular style that other people have not? And doesn't matter. It's your story. Tell it. So I think that's the only advice I probably would have. Yeah, I think in the Somali community, we're oral. We, we have so much stories and we yeah. say orally, but it's not documented. Yeah. And I seen on Twitter, like there was a lot of times um, back in the day when like stories would go viral, like one person would share and like, mashallah, it was so addicting. Like you want to hear more because like you can kind of yeah. relate to it, but like they never publish it or like, you know, they'd go missing and stuff. But yeah. I think we have good stories, like orally, like we're good storytellers. We just got to start writing it yeah. down. <laughs> we do need but to start writing it down. Yeah, no, absolutely. Then, I agree. Go ahead. And then my dad the other day, like I said, they were going through the archives and he was like telling me how I raised my little brother because I would always tell him stories to get him to go to sleep. And I was yeah. like, I don't even remember that. But that just yeah. makes so much sense because of how my brother acts now. And he's yeah. like obsessed with school and he's kind of treating like him go- going to these colleges as his escape plan. He's like, bye guys, like I'm going to Howard. Where are yeah. you going? Like, <laughs> it's a... Uh, yeah. um, no, and I think that's something that definitely needs to happen. I think I said this in another interview that I did. The whole of, it's not even just Somali culture, it's the whole of African culture is miles deep in like the kind of stories that exist within it. And it's just unmined, like it's raw um, in its existence and its origin. Um, uh, there's nothing more original out there. And the amount of storytelling that could come out of it is amazing. But like you said, all of it is oral. And so that's just the market that's just like waiting to be tapped is to tell African stories and to you know infuse it with African culture and African spirituality and African language. That's the thing, right? People write books and they have to like make up this languages that you know don't exist and like put dragons in it and things like that. And with, you know, on the continent you could pick from like 10,000 languages and like stick it in there right and 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 do it properly and do it accurately because you yourself speak the language and so you don't need to make it up or for it to even um think there's you don't need to think about does this make sense is this grammatically correct no because it's it's part and parcel of who you are and what your identity is and so I think that would be something to definitely look into yeah, it's also your narrative. So you're, again, being yourself and you don't have to be scared of like, quote unquote, me canceled or quote unquote, it not being successful because you're content with it because this is your story. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Our last and favorite question we ask all our guests is, <laughs> who is the Nagna in your life and why? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know way too many. But I think I'm going to, I, I'm going to go with my mom, Allah Rahma. Um, 
my mom was um, one of these women who, and my mom passed away when I was, uh, when I was younger, so she's not here anymore. But I think everything that um, I know and know how to do about how to walk through life is something that's as a direct result of something that I, I picked up from her. And I didn't realize, I think kids pick up on like their parents, right? We don't realize what it is that they're doing. And it's not until you get older that you're like, oh, wow, yeah, no, that that feels very much like something Hoyo would say or, or do. And so um, I learned a lot from her and um, her memory um, keeps me going. She was an incredibly badass woman, you know, who is quiet and graceful and um, taught me a lot. And um, yeah, but yes, she's, she's yeah, yeah, but there's, a lot of them. There's you two, there's my friends, there's my best friends from childhood, there's uh, people that, you know, I've come to know in the last few years, and so there's too many, but definitely if I had to pick one, that would be my mom. Oh, that's amazing. No, I 100% agree with um, you pick up on stuff from your mom, or it's yeah. so weird, like, even sometimes if I'm, like, at a grocery store and I do something some way, I feel mm-hmm. like I can watch my mom smiling, like, <laughs> taught you that one. <laughs> like, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> Do you think your parents are like, oh, why is she like this? Or why are they like that? They're so strict or they don't understand and they don't do all this stuff. And then you you grow up and if you're lucky, you actually turn into them. And so, yeah, you know, it's a, I it's can a really- see myself and my mom for like when yeah. I'm going through her old pictures and like she's putting powder foundation on her face. And like, this is me the other day going like this. I was like, I know what's from now. Yeah. <laughs> Even how you interact with people are like, how like you, your manners and stuff like that like sometimes like when I I feel bad for saying this my aunts are gonna kill me but whenever I go to my like dad's side of the family they're like you're such like your mom and I'm like no I'm not and I'm like maybe I am <laughs> um, yeah no it's it's really cold my, my favorite thing now is you know when I go home and um you know someone's like oh you know when you smile you look just exactly like your mother or there's a certain way that I'll say something and they'll say oh that's I'm gonna and so it's 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 really lovely to do that. But now I'm going to turn back on you guys and say um, this is a really really cool just concept and incredible and amazing. And I never would have had the guts to like launch a podcast and like do it so effectively and so wonderfully. And so what what got you guys going on like Nagnol and like the idea of how to do it and, and get it out there. Oh, that's so nice uh, especially because it took so much out of me Ahlam has, I've, I've always looked up to Ahlam because Ahlam is just very unfiltered like in her way of life which is which is why like I wanted to be friends with her because I sliced up on her snapchat story circa yeah. 2015 when she was on a what is it on a study abroad trip in Barcelona yeah. and I was like oh my god I want that life so that's just, like how it started because yeah. I was always the only Somali girl like where I grew up I was always the only Somali girl so my friends were very diverse and like I had white friends Mexican friends like friends mm. from all over West Africa but I yeah. never really had like that Somali like best best friend yeah um that wasn't in Ohio th- through the masjid I made all my friends through the masjid but Ahlam I met online like, she was my yeah. first internet friend so yeah that's yeah, how we, we met we met and like we're dragging like, white people yeah like we met that was guys I'm trying to change and like my new year's goal is to be more filtered actually and like not don't to be stereotype. No. I, I will not agree to that don't be filtered you you you're an incredibly um uh, joyful person and your spirit 
just jumps out so don't be faltered yeah literally I love her like haram's the reason why like I was so like I would go to school the next day and be like and what about it like when someone tried me because I was talking to <laughs> on the side on snapchat yeah also like I think that like like we're not the best example of what a podcast should be because we're yeah. missing and stuff like that but like it's really hard like because like I just recently graduated yes me and still in school like we were like trying to balance like school and like mm-hmm. life before COVID we did have a social life so like yeah. that as well and like it was just a lot and like me and Yasmin never lived in the same area so I've always been based in Seattle Yasmin has been in Ohio and Minnesota so like yeah. we had to do the virtual thing and this is pre-Zoom guys so we had to like be yeah. getting on like call yeah. each other and then like yeah. oh, the way we yeah. set up is so hard but like it's really hard work and I think that like for us like again it's like just like like we never had access to like Somali women and just seeing that representation in different careers and stuff like that because it's like sometimes you're like hmm, I really want to be an author and like oh nobody did it so I don't know who to go to or even yeah, like, there's, you know? there's a how much Allah there's like Snapbee which is like professional like very professional networking but we wanted networking mm-hmm. to like where we could find friends some people can find you yeah. know their soulmate you know yeah Not for me but like find your man yeah you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Just like, you more know, like gen z inspired as well like more like not I'm not trying to throw shade at old people but like kind of like more (laughs) you should we're old (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like kind of like what I think it's hard though like and I'm just like we're really happy alhamdulillah this past like year like 20 2020 was a horrible year but we got got inaugural rolling and like alhamdulillah we're like on a roll now so I'm hoping we continue and everybody keeps dragging us if we don't I understand your frustration with us yeah honestly like I don't know for, for like for me like I love chaotic energy like I said which is what attracted me to Ahlam so like mm-hmm. I love like I love it when people get mad and like stir the pot like it's just so fun for me like <laughs> me loves it and I'm just like I I'm chaotic but I'm also like I will cause mayhem and then I'll the whole night this is me then she'll leave the chat she'll she'll cause mayhem <laughs> just, and then like, she'll leave. just drop the bomb and just bounce <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm like it's only alhamdulillah like I'm in tech and like if you're confident and loud in tech it works because it's like a bro culture but mm-hmm. if I was in any other career guys like I would be unemployed unemployed yeah. like- which is why I feel like Nagno is so successful because cancel culture doesn't exist in other countries outside the U.S. like right. America as a whole has become very sensitive over the past yeah. four years and it's like yeah. nobody can get anything done without somebody's feelings getting hurt like you can't live life right. like that like so my culture literally drags like my AA would touch my thigh and she'd be like you're so fat no man's gonna marry you like you know, I, know like, I know yeah I, I think Americans need to experience Somali culture because then they would be like oh no I, we're, we're good there are 16 year olds on there are 16 year olds on TikTok saying I'm fat I'm just bro you're not fat you're just sick like yeah yeah it's really sad yeah. yeah and also like um I feel like in the diaspora and like a lot of the Somali there's so much like well, there's so much Somali communities around the world and I think that like we all relate with our Somali culture and also just being super visibly black and Muslim so it's like mm-hmm. really inspiring because we don't only interview Americans we interview Canadians we interview British people it's just so interesting mm-hmm. although we live so far away we all have the same it's like we live the same life as you assume like yeah same, like, I think so yeah no I think that's true because we're basically all like I don't even know how to describe it but there's just a very distinct it's just for lack of a better word it's just Somali anymore right it's just it's there's just something about us and it's like nope yeah no that's definitely us right it doesn't go away and we all sort of have different personalities so I'm not chaotic at all I don't do chaos (laughs) I can't handle it I can't manage it I can't walk into it I can't cause it I will 
always like turn around and walk away. And so, uh, but I'm still like going to like silently creep and like watch and be like, that's me. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> for me, but you know, do you? <laughs> no, because I've like, I've been having this problem recently because I moved to Minnesota. So, like, my Ohio friends knew me my whole life. Ahlam's known me like majority of my life. Like, they know that this is my personality. But the people in Minnesota are just now figuring out, like, oh my God, was she really this funny the whole time? And I'm just like, bro, I had a personality. I swear. Like, it's also hard. Like, I think that Minnesota, okay, if you're a Somali person and you made it in Minnesota, wallahi, like, you can make it anywhere. Because Minnesota is so scary. Well, because Minnesota is basically home. Like, there's no, like, there isn't even any amount of filtering. It's like, and I think it has to do with numbers, even though I know like there could be like two Somalis in a town and they w- you would still know who they are, right? Because I think yeah. it, that's just who we are as people. But with Minnesota, you can definitely feel that you're at home. I, I live like way out uh, outside of like I live in Lakeville. And so it's like what, 30, 30 minutes, 35 yeah. minutes maybe to, to Minneapolis, to the cities. And um, so as you get into the city and when you're in like Minneapolis Central, it feels a whole lot more like home than it does when like I'm on this side of the city. Like it Mm -hmm. feels a whole lot familiar because your people are everywhere. Like every block has like a small restaurant on it or like a hill of halal and like, um, you you know, all of the aspects of, you know, what our life is over here. And so, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great place to be. And I've, I've genuinely enjoyed living here um, for as long as I have, but yeah, no, you guys are amazing and incredible. Please keep doing what you're doing. I, I can't believe you chose to talk to us. No, this is so inspiring. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You're so inspiring. Cause like, I've, Ham knows me like I write everything down but I never would have the guts to like publish what I'm writing but because of you, maybe I will now yeah no it's really inspiring and it's like well the work you're doing is so vital I know like you don't see it but like representation is so big and like I know young Somali boys and girls and just like even yeah. East African or African like it's just so nice yeah. to have those books in their schools and like point yeah. at it like that's me yeah. like yeah. Like yeah, I did an interview with uh, Christine Mopondera. Uh, She's on Instagram and does this series called The African Narrative. And she just, uh, you know, talks to African authors. And so, and she's from Zimbabwe. She lives in Illinois, but she's from Zimbabwe. And, and she, that she reached out and it wasn't so much because I was Somali, but it's like that collective, like just being Africans together, right? And what that means for our kids. Um, and, and so did this like lovely interview with her on Instagram and it was great. But yeah, no, it's, it's basically the same thing, I think it's 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 important that we all kind of seek each other out so that kids can see that oh it could be that you know and and and, and make that happen for them yeah and sharing our normal stories and not trump like you know trauma porn as you said like let's yeah <laughs> not everything needs to be traumatizing like i right now after this my little sister was like oh we're gonna go to the bookstore and buy it and i said okay like you know like excited and she- eight years old too so oh my god please uh give her my love i'll send you a picture yes please do please do please do i yeah would love to see that yeah there's that i I think i think and the author there's a total of eight books in the series and the last ones came out last year um and so hopefully you know here's to more sadiq books and other books really um, that have more small characters in them so looking forward to it congratulations thank you so much congratulations thank Thank you Um, where can our listeners find the book or where can they find you and follow the amazing work you're doing uh my books are pretty much uh you uh, a lot of them are sold in indie bookstores uh amazon has them but you can also get them directly from the publisher so capstone publishing 
um, has them. Amazon has them. Uh, Wild Rumpus Books in Minnesota um, has them. Barnes and Noble does carry them sometimes. Target as well. Um, I'm trying to think of, yeah, I mean, pretty much any bookstore will have them. It just kind of depends. But I do know there are a lot more in libraries as well. Um, Capstone does a whole lot of library and school market. And so that's that's who their primary market is, is, is schools and libraries. And so, um, you, you know, so they sell to them in bulk. But, you know, most bookstores should have them as well. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait. Um, I don't have kids. I don't have younger brothers. So I'm going to give it to my cousins. I I say, I'm going to be gifting the book to everybody. Yes, please do. Please do it. And give them all my love when you do when you do that. So I, I really appreciate the support. You guys are incredible. Thank you.